The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to the Fire Pete Golding commemorative edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, otherwise known as the 2020 Ole Miss postgame. So this is going to be the tale of two podcasts, and I'm going to give you a little listening instructions to sort of help you out here. Very different than what we've done before, but uh, here's sort of the reality of this one. I'm going to ask that you listen to the offense breakdown first, then listen to the offense breakdown again. Listen to it a second time. Then wait until the next day before you listen to the defensive breakdown. I want to absolutely make sure that we do not sleep on this historically great offensive performance simply because we're pissed off at how historically wretched the defensive performance was. So praise be to the offense. The defense needs a little work. And so let's make sure as we're listening, however you break it down and listen to it, do what you do. But however you break it down, don't gloss over the offense. I'm not going to when when we step through, but I want to make sure that as fans, we appreciate that side of the ball, that side of the field, what we saw on Saturday, because we would not be in this position 15-point victors, um, were it not for uh, the tenacity and uh, the prosperity on the offensive side of the ball. And I want to throw this in for everyone. If you're not yet listening to or have access to the Zoom calls, then you are already missing out. Uh, We've had two such calls, about three hours worth of calls, live calls, live interaction. They've been just a bucket of fun. If you've been either on the Zoom calls or in the bonus group that gets the audio version of the Zoom calls, you would already know about a sponsor that's coming up. You would already know about a contest that's coming up. And you guys are going to get access to this too. It's just going to be on a just a different sort of time schedule. You would get to see, so this is a tease for future, the next Zoom call is this Thursday night the Thursday night leading up to the Georgia game. And we will have the product, the sponsor product on display and in action Thursday night. So if you're on the zoom call, 
uh, you'll have access to that. It's the All America support team that uh, has access, live access to the Zoom calls. And then all of the other uh, support teams uh, have access to to uh, the recordings that uh, that we put out. And I would just tell you, it's something that all the cool, cool kids are doing. So we uh, we recommend that you give that a shot. There is a, sort of a sales page sign up sheet on the website, alabamafootballpodcast.com. We strongly encourage that you give that a look. Sort of a full breakdown of all of the content, all the bonuses, all the benefits that uh, that are a party to those uh those levels of support and uh, we ask that you give that a look and if you're interested or have any questions don't hesitate to reach out alabama football podcast at gmail.com and i will personally answer all of those emails so now without further ado let's jump into the alabama old miss post game so alabama hung 63 on old miss and uh, old miss hung 48 on alabama Let's focus on the 63 first. Let's focus on what Alabama did first, because like I said, it's a historically great performance. And let's revel in that. Let's celebrate that. Uh, Let's not ignore it because we're mad at the defense. So offensively, Alabama Alabama strung up 723 total yards uh, of offense, a phenomenal number, 37 first downs. Now, 37 is a lot of first downs, but think about this. 37 first downs were were gained offensively. There were actually a total, when you think of start of the game and kickoffs and stuff like that, there were four changes of possessions. There were 43 first down snaps. There were 21 second down snaps. That's pretty amazing. That's moving the ball. Um, that's that's efficient uh, movement of the ball, continuing to churn and cycle through first down after first down after first down uh, without even having to pro, uh, progress to second down. Alabama was six of seven on third downs. So hear that, 43 first down snaps, 21 second down snaps, seven third down snaps. So again, progressing the ball, not even allowing to get it to a second down, not even allowing to get it to a third down. But Alabama, when it did go to third down, they were able to stay on the field. They converted six of the seven, which is which is pretty impressive. Uh, 723 total yards. We talked about that. 417 passing, again, by a quarterback who some questioned whether he should start the season. 306 rushing yards for a, a rushing a rushing offense that had been sort of lamented uh, the last few weeks of the season, last couple of weeks of the season, first two weeks. So that's that's incredible production. I know we want to say, what's well, Ole Miss? It's Ole Miss. They're historically bad on offense. That's fine. We always play lesser thans on offense. It ain't every season that we hang up 723. It's not every season that we hang up 400 yards passing. It's not every season that we hang up 300 yards rushing. So let's put the, this, you know, let's definitely look at this and put this in perspective. Let's talk about Mac Jones, 28 of 32 passing. That's better than 87% passing. I think if you took a father and son and and you threw them in the backyard to have a toss, uh, they may not complete 87% of their passes. So to do that against a live, a live defense is, is pretty darn impressive. Mac had two touchdowns. Um, and, if you, and, and if you look at his stat lines through three games so far to start the season, he's on a better – a dramatically better trajectory, uh, better path than Joe Burrow was last year. 
in his statistically historical season, trying to mix words there, in his historical season last year, he was not on the pace that Mac Jones is currently. And, of course, this is an all-SEC schedule as opposed to what the last uh, season started with. So let's appreciate uh, Mac Jones. We've talked about Mac Jones. I talked to him. uh, I referenced him last season as sort of the senator. Uh, He was going around talking to players, pumping up the team, and uh, just being a voice of encouragement. And we've already seen that so far this season. He's He is a leader, capital letters, a leader. Um, if he were to quit football and start a business, I'd want to go work for it. Uh, if he were to run for office, I'd want to move to his uh, district so I could vote for him. Mac Jones, Mac Jones is a leader. We see players rally around him, uh, and we see him sort of personif- personify those characteristics. The offense was historically good, the defense historically bad, and Mac Jones talks about needing to work on the things that he missed. Well, he missed four passes, right? There's not a lot there to work on. Uh, but he, he but he stepped up and took took uh, a degree of ownership and said, you know, there's 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 things that I need to work on. There's things that I can do to improve the efficiency of the offense. Folks, that's being a leader. That's deflecting. That's dis- detracting from not in a negative way, but but deflecting the negative attention from sort of the elephant in the room. And, and he's wanting, you know, shine that light on me. I can take it. I can handle it. Uh, the, the leadership characteristics there, I think, are phenomenal. Najee Harris is another guy that really stepped, uh, really stepped up at a position where Alabama needed him in in the running game. Twenty three carries for two hundred six yards, uh, a nine yard average, just phenomenal. He had five touchdowns, and he had a long touchdown of thirty nine yards, and it was that last touchdown for all the production that he gave. It was that last production that that last touchdown that allowed us to all exhale. Uh, I think very violently, I exhaled. Uh, when he uh, when he scored that touchdown, my TV may have a complex uh, today after uh, after watching that game. Um, his five touchdowns that's only happened twice in Alabama history. Uh, Sean Alexander rushed for five touchdowns against BYU in in '98. I was at that game. That was sort of the, a a re a reopening of uh, Bryant Denny Stadium, uh, coming after some expansion, and then Santonio Beard, uh, uh, ironically. Uh, against Ole Miss, he rushed for five touchdowns uh, in a game in 2002. And Santonio Beard may be one of the best running backs that sort of unheralded, sort of lost in history. Uh, if he had played in a different era, I think he'd be an, a name that uh, that we all knew. And he played in Nashville, so and I'm from Nashville, so I'd, I'd heard of him um, sort of ahead of time. And so he's always sort of been something of a favorite. But nonetheless, uh, Najee uh, sort of marked his his name on that list, uh, rushing for, for the five touchdowns. What's interesting is Najee was credited with a fumble, and uh, in fairness, so we're going to talk about that. And that was that was a critical fumble. Uh, Alabama was going into score uh, to take the lead, and the ball was was really just stripped away from him. It wasn't so much a fumble. You think of a fumble, you're getting knocked, and the ball is knocked out of your arms. That you lose control of the ball as the result of a hit. He was stacked up at the at the line of scrimmage or, or at the goal line, and in the replay you could you could tell that one of his arms was was being held down, held to his body, and he couldn't get it up to support the ball. So he was holding the ball with one arm, and you could tell he had a firm grasp on the ball. It wasn't it wasn't a fluke, but a defender was was coming and fighting and physically trying to wrest the ball away from him, and a slow whistle 
the defender had a time had time to take the ball away. And so not sour grapes at all, but I question whether that should have been a fumble. Um, fumble's a harsh word for it as it was sort of stolen from from his possession. Uh, and I, I question whether or not it, that even should have been allowed. Uh, nonetheless, not trying to play sour grape there, but uh, something something that happened and is worth commenting on. Uh, but take you know take that aside, right? Uh, credit the fumble, if you will. And uh, Najee still twenty three for two hundred six, uh, average of nine for five touchdowns, and the long of thirty nine again. Uh, wasn't the last play of the game, but it was the last play of the game, sort of of merit, of note, uh, of necessity. And Alabama fans, I think we were uh, ecstatic and uh, sort of exhaled uh, when that when that happened. Brian Robinson, uh, he came in. Had a phenomenal day as well. Uh, uh, Ten carries for seventy-six yards, so he averaged seven point six. He had a touchdown, and he looked physical. He looked incredibly aggressive. Uh, I think if he if he could have had another ten carries, I think he would have put up an, uh, another hundred yards. He had, he had just a, a phenomenal day. Didn't get to see Trey Sanders. I had predicted uh, in in sort of the Zoom that he would have. Uh, that he was going to break out. He was my prediction as a, as a breakout player. The way the game unfolded, that didn't happen. Uh, I have to wonder if this game would have played out a little bit differently, if Najee would have held on to the ball, if we would have scored that touchdown, uh, gone up at that point, and then kind of back and forth with us in the lead, uh, if we wouldn't have pulled away a little bit earlier, and then that wouldn't that would not have allowed uh, B-Rob uh, a few more carries and then Trey as well. So sort of an alternative universe there where maybe that goes a different way, but there's quite a number of alternative uh, universes where – the entire game goes the other way, so I'll I'll rest uh, satisfied with with what we with what we experience sort of in our world. From a receiver uh, standpoint, Devonta is just a rebel killer or a land shark killer or a bear killer. I don't know however you sort of want to call Ole Miss, but he whips him up pretty good. He had 13 catches for 164. He didn't quite hit his 274 from last year, but uh, you know who's going to do that, right? Uh, so 23, uh, uh, 13 carries, 164 is quite impressive. He had a nice touchdown on a run, and, I, and I'm and i going to sound a little bit contradictory. I don't like Devonta running the end of rounds. I really don't like it. Uh, there was something about this one. Obviously, it was critical uh, time in the game, but uh, I think it, it, it really fooled uh, the defense, and he really just waltzed in. And so it's not a play. It's a play I never would have called, but then I wouldn't have gotten that touchdown. Uh, and he was so graceful uh, sort of running around and, and, and scoring that touchdown. So that was nice. And, again, all of the scores, all of the touchdowns were critical. They were necessary. They were important. And certainly uh, the one by Devonta there uh, was as well. Waddle had six carries for a buck 20, so he did not get into the end zone Saturday. Uh, but he did uh, uh, set up his third uh, in a th- three-game season so far, his third 100-yard performance. So that was outstanding. Mechie had four for 75. I think he did have a drop, uh, and I think there was maybe an overthrow that went in his direction. But um, Mechie did have four for 75, which is very steady, impressive performance. Uh, Forrestal had two catches, and so that's his first two-catch day in a while. And, uh, and he had a touchdown as well, so he looked impressive in his play. Uh, Najee actually uh, had three catches for 42, so he, he padded his stats uh, in that regard. So he was up near 250 overall. So Najee, just just an incredible day. The line allowed uh, one sack on the day, and that's something Max said. He was he was praising, again, just leadership. He was praising the offensive line and made the comment that, I don't even think I got hit today. 
I think a quarterback probably remembers getting sacked, uh, but maybe not. This will give a little bit of credit. But uh, all that Mac wanted to do was just praise those around him and then point out that he had some things to work on. Again, top-notch leadership uh, that we're seeing from Mac Jones there. That, that you know, the kid's going to go places, and he's going to take the team with him, uh, I believe, this year. So quite impressive. Um, the line had a couple of misses, and the one that stood out to me is uh, a- uh, Alex Leatherwood. Uh, he, he <laughs> I, I guess you have to say he missed, but I don't think he did. Uh, and I love sort of the piss and vinegar he had. Uh, he knew that – he was supposed to get help. And what's interesting, that play, he actually, you know, lined up. Uh, there was a, a ta- there was a tight end. You know, he's a left tackle. So there's a tight end uh, outside of him. The tight end moved. Uh, but, and so he's lined up next to uh, Deontay at the guard. And so what's interesting is Alex stepped forward. And with his right arm, he, he sort of hand shoved the man that Deontay was blocking. And, and he did that real quick, and then he jumped back in sort of in, in a pass pattern, in a uh, sort of pass blocking, uh, stepping back to, to pick up his man. And the, the action of doing, you know, one and then stepping back, you know, he's, he's almost, but he's not quite Superman. And so the guy, the, you know, the defender on his outside was able to get around, but he was so incensed, Alex was. And if you go back and look at it, it, it did appear that the tight end was supposed to have helped. Maybe it's chipped, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's block and then, and then Alex is going to come and, and block him as well. But Alex was so mad. He didn't throw his helmet, but boy, it looked like he was that close to it, that it, it just seems like he knew that that was going to land on his grade and that it should not. And that he felt that he was sort of hung out to dry there. And so I kind of like the, the piss and vinegar that, uh, that he had there. Again, the offensive performance, can't say enough things about the offense, and, and we should just revel uh, in, in the offensive side uh, of the production. Again, 63 points. Uh, what's interesting, if you look at the sort of the breakdown, the scoring breakdown, uh, Alabama scored 21 points in the first half and then proceeded to score 21 points in each of the third and fourth quarters. So that was pretty impressive. The, the offensive explosion really happened uh, in the second half. Uh, both teams were uh, tied at 21 at the half. So Alabama uh, scored, what's that, 42 in the second half. And then, what's that, 27. Am I doing my math right in my head? 27 that uh, that almost scored in the, in the second half. So a lot, of, a lot of offensive production there in the second half. What I want to talk about also, and this might be the most critical thing, it's one thing to look at stats and put up numbers to think about offense in, in those terms. Another thing to think about in this game in particular is the pressure that the Alabama offense pay, uh, faced. So in this game, and you can say Ole Miss is, was not a stout defense. That's fine. We've had enough procedural penalties that didn't were not impacted necessarily by the quality uh, of the defense, right? So here's here's what I would say: the Alabama offense was in a position where it was very clear they would have to score every possession, every time they possessed the ball, they were going to have to score, and not only score, they were going to have to put up touchdowns. That is a lot of pressure. You think about the pass play coming in. And so the pressure that puts on the quarterback to know that he's got to locate 
the ball perfectly. That the receiver has to run the route just, per, you know, just perfectly, just to 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 leap at the right time to to get the ball. The, the offensive linemen have to minimize their penalties. They can't get beat at the line of scrimmage because it's going to disrupt a possession that that needs to end. It may not be a perfect possession, but it needs to result in a touchdown. And so it needs to end in perfection. That the wholeness of it needs to be perfect. And so any sort of miscue can throw that out of balance. And we saw that with Ole Miss with a couple of botched snaps that they have. Alabama almost, uh, in fact, Alabama did have a botched snap, but they were able to recover. Uh, Ole Miss, under the same pressure, although they were playing with house money, uh, under the same pressure, they caved. Alabama not playing with house money, they were 24-point favorites, would have been more of a laughing stock if, if they lost as opposed to Ole Miss as a moral victory uh, in their loss. So uh, the Alabama offense playing with significantly greater pressure. They produced time after time after time. They scored touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Uh, 21 in the third quarter, 21 in the fourth quarter, six, uh, six straight possessions. Uh, Alabama scored touchdowns uh, in the second half. And in fact, at least... The last possession in the first half, Alabama controlled the ball, and they scored a touchdown there. I have to go back and, and look You know, prior to that. Did they score additionals? I actually think they did. I think it was eight, eight in a row, but definitely six, definitely seven. And what's interesting, and we talk about this in the podcast uh, as well, when you have the last possession of the half and then the first possession of the next half, that's sort of a magical opportunity to sort of flip the game in your favor. Alabama scored 14 points um, in those in those possessions. So you think about a 15-point margin, those two possessions uh, yielded 14. I, I would say uh, I'd say that's right there at that level of significance, that, that sort of magical mark that we talk about uh, having those two possessions back-to-back uh, in scoring. So, again, I almost just want to take a moment and celebrate – you know, the offense, and, and hopefully I've done it uh, a little bit of justice in, in stepping this through. And, again, I can't, you know, an A triple plus for the performance and then in, in context the performance under the pressure that they were on. Cannot say enough good things uh, about that. Uh, many game balls for the offense. I'm going to go um, maybe a little bit sentimental here, but uh, I was really pleased with Joshua, Joshua McMillan coming in as a fullback. I think he was in at fullback for the third time before the announcers caught on to it, before the announcers said anything. And, of course, on that block, uh, on that play, he had uh, he had a really big block. And so they felt really good about sort of calling it out. But that was really the third possession that uh, that he had been in, uh, at least, I'll say that, at least the third possession that uh, number 40 had been in at uh, at a fullback position. So that was really good to see. And I'm going to do sort of a Tommy uh, tribute. I'm going to sort of break the, the mini game ball up a little bit, and I'm going to give two on offense. And so Joshua McMillan certainly gets one. And another player, uh, and I've sort of gotten raked over the coals for mispronouncing his name uh, or sort of botching his name, Kendall Randolph. I uh, want to give him uh, props. He has lined up at the tight end position, so he's dual numbered every game so far this season. And he did a disproportionately higher number of snaps at the tight end position uh, against Ole Miss. So he has seen regular action. He's a name that you're probably not going to hear, but uh, he has seen regular action at the tight end position and extra, literally an extra lineman renumbering and lining up at the, at the tight end slot. If we continue to do that, oh, I hope we give him a pass 
uh, at some point because no one will see that coming. Uh, I don't know if he's got the mitts for it, but you just root, root for the, the big lineman playing tight end. You hope he gets an opportunity. All right. So, yay, Alabama offense, right? All right. Got to take a drink for this one because we're going to flip the field and we're going to talk about the Alabama defense. And we're going to start out by saying historically bad. We've already said that. We're going to say it again. We're going to try to be honest, and we're going to try not to pile on any one single individual. And so we're going to try to go sort of, you know, mostly just the facts here, ma'am. But we're going to douse in some some good opinion, I, I think, uh, here as well. So let's look at the numbers. Historically bad, the Alabama defense allowed 647 yards. I've probably read a couple of times today how poorly that rate sort of numer- numerically, historically. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's It sucks. Uh, certainly the worst that we've seen under Saban. So, you know, historically bad. We don't need to one, two, three, is it the eight top six? I don't, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, it, it's you know, shit in the sack uh, is what we saw on defense. Alabama allowed 379 passing yards, 268 rushing yards, 31 first downs were allowed, and Ole Miss converted four of four on their first, uh, fourth down conversions, which <clears throat> that's a big number. Uh, that also, the four of four on fourth down, those are four third down conversions that didn't convert. So if you look at their third down conversions, you might say, well, that's not so bad. Yeah, but four of them, they converted on fourth downs. So factor that into the math, right? Nonetheless, really, really bad numbers there. There are multiple contributing factors. I won't go so far as to call them reasons, and I certainly would not pin the entirety of this on any one of these reasons. I don't know that I would pin the entirety of it on all of these reasons. So what I'm asking you to do is hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. I am not saying that that one or more of these were the reason for the defense struggling. I'm saying that all of these played a role, but none of the but but none of them should have, and even aggregately, they should not have, they, they don't sum to, they don't have a negative sum that equals what was allowed, right? So hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. The weather did play a factor. Uh, the wet field did play a factor for defense. Ole Miss playing with house money in this game played a factor. Uh, this was Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss's Super Bowl against uh, Alabama. That played a factor. I think there's system saturation with Nick Saban's defense in the SEC. There's four or five coaches in the SEC that run versions of the same thing. Eight years ago, that wasn't that wasn't so, and so his system um, his system was more unique and not something that teams had to prepare for every week. Teams see it now. Uh, it is a new era of ball, and you could reason that some components of the Saban era or of the Saban system are bygone. And in, in the new offensive structure, maybe they're not as valid. And I think I think there's some legitimacy to that. Again, not blaming this game on that fact. I'm just saying these factors exist. I think they're all true. I think the team was thinking versus reacting. You could call that, uh, blame that on the system. You know, Ole Miss playing with house money. They ran a lot of things out of pattern. And I think uh, Saban talked about this. Some of the th- third and longs where they ran, who does that? Well, 
you might occasionally see that to keep somebody napping. Um, Ole Miss seemed to do that time and time again. Again, that's not the the standalone reason. None of these are. Uh, was the Alabama team looking ahead a little bit? Yeah, maybe. Georgia's a big game uh, next week, and this is the Ole Miss team that we're supposed to rough up pretty good. Um, you know, poor coaching and uh, and certainly poor execution by the players. Plenty of missed tackles. So I think all of that sort of you know, congeal into, you know, some form of, of witch's brew of, of factors and impacts. Again, I don't think that all of those together equal the performance, the negative performance that we saw in the field. But I do think they all, uh, they all play a, play a role. And actually, I want to tip my cat, my cap to uh, Lane Kiffin and just an outstanding performance. Uh, our, our defense struggled. The Alabama defense struggled, but holy wow. Uh, the Ole Miss offense was outstanding. They were lights out. They were outmatched, but you wouldn't have known it. Uh, and certainly even the final score and a competitive game until late in the fourth quarter, you wouldn't have known it. They kept showing the offensive coordinator, uh, Jeff Levy, in in sort of the press box, and he just looked like the coolest cat, uh, the coolest customer going. Uh, you would never have guessed, if you just watched a little bit of footage of him, you never would have guessed that he was calling the offense in this ball game. You know, you would have thought, why do they keep showing this guy who's playing, you know, online battleship with his sup son? Uh, that's really what it looked like. He just, you know, was was cool as a cucumber. And so now let's talk about the defense. What are some of the things that are wrong with the defense? What maybe can be done to sort of correct this? And some of these are sort of maybe predictions, maybe thoughts. What can what can we do to fix this? I'm not going to go through and list through a whole bunch of players that had, hey, somebody had a lot of tackles. You know, I think uh, I saw where Dylan Moses had, you know, double-digit tackles. I don't know when it happened uh, because I didn't see him have a big play. Uh, and that's not to say those tackles weren't important. Every every time we stopped them was, was important. But I didn't see anyone really stand up and have just a kick-ass whiz-bang play. Uh, DJ Dell had a had a sack, I think, that, that was good for Larian Mathis, uh, Barmore. They had a couple couple of plays. But there wasn't there wasn't any wow uh, factor on the Alabama defense like there was um, against Missouri. I think we were all super excited because they just looked electric, the defense did, some of the players uh, flying around. We didn't see any of that uh, against Ole Miss. And so, uh, again, I think the talent's there. Uh, I think some of the coaching there is there. I think there are a number of factors that contributed, but they just threw out a dud, the Alabama defense did on Saturday. And for the factors we've named and just for the old the the fact that Ole Miss came out and gave us everything they got, and they pl- probably played above themselves. They had a Stephen Garcia game, let's say that, uh, and and some shit like that. You just can't quantify. Uh, so instead of sort of list a bunch of players who had eight or nine tackles because, you know, woohoo, um, we're gonna we're gonna talk defense a little bit different, and we're gonna talk about what would what would we do to change? What could we do uh, to change things up? I don't know if these necessarily sort of register as predictions, but their ideas, their concepts that uh, I think that should be given some credence and should be maybe given some run, uh, certainly in practice. So what I saw and uh, Saturday Zoom call, uh, a couple of guys brought this up as well. Uh, so credit, uh, credit there as well. But the uh, paying particular attention to it against Ole Miss, the outside linebackers couldn't set the edge. Uh, Christopher Allen, uh, not to pick on uh, anyone necessarily, but uh, we, we we struggled with Will Anderson as well. Uh, we brought in Drew Sanders uh, at one point. We were trying to find a defensive end, or it's not even a defensive end. It's, it's an outside linebacker, and that might even be part of the problem. 
But Chris Christopher Allen reminded me of of Chavis Williams in the Cam Newton game. He couldn't set the edge. We need to go get. They don't make these anymore, and so there's going to be an age demographic that uh, that won't know what this is. Uh, but we need to go get one of those big, you know, f- you know, twelve feet tall, you know, three three foot by three foot phone booths, and we just need to roll that out as as the outside linebacker and just plop it out there and say, "Damn it, we've set the edge." But we need something that can that can you know literally set set the edge and force the defense back in, uh, and and I and like literally, I think there's a couple things we can do. Uh, I would put, uh, you know, we run you know, a four, two, five. Right. And so it's, it's, uh, it's primarily, uh, sometimes, you know, when it's a four, two, five, the true nickel, then it might be two, uh, two defensive linemen with two outside linebackers. Sometimes it might be three defensive linemen with an outside linebacker and then two linebackers and, and five defensive backs. Well, let's, let's, let's look at, let's check out who we're putting uh, on that edge. I like Will Anderson. I want him to continue to, to play there, but maybe we need to rotate him out in, in particular uh, situations. Maybe, maybe same with Chris, uh, Chris Allen, that he plays less reps. What if we were to do something with LeBron Ray and instead of an outside linebacker walking up, what if we were to try to play a true defensive end? LeBron Ray could do that. You know, maybe we look at that. Maybe Joshua McMillan, Who's stout in his own right? What's he go? 6'4, 240? Maybe he could set the edge. And there would be a limited responsibility set, but you know, set the edge. Keep everything, you know, contain everything to to the inside. I think he's a trusted uh, six-year senior that, that you could put him out there and trust him uh with that instruction that he wouldn't get sort of sucked into uh the 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 interior. I don't think he gets swallowed up as easily uh by uh, you know by an offensive lineman. Uh, as it appeared that uh, Chris Allen did. So there's a couple things that I would consider. Uh, I, I probably like the little Brian Ray idea a little bit more, but uh, you know, maybe you put them both out there. Maybe they become, maybe they become part of the rotation. So you can keep the offensive line guessing uh, in terms of Alabama doing something a little bit different, but we've got to set the edge. We've got to contain, we've got to contain uh, that makes things easier for the entirety of the defense. <clears throat> Daniel Wright. I don't want to pick on the guy too much, uh, but I think the responsibility may be too large for him. Um, I hate to say that because his athleticism is is on point. I just think he's got to rein in and play within himself. He continues to try to go for the big play. He went for sort of batting the ball down uh, against the tight end rather than clobbering the tight end after he caught it and what that did is he missed so he allowed a clean catch to the tight end and in missing he knocked dylan moses out of the play and then tight end was able to run for a long game that may have even gone for a touchdown uh this is special teams but in in the punt coverage daniel wright was in position to knock the ball out of bounds at you know the one foot line and just clumsily batted the ball into the end zone. Uh, you, you know, you, it, and this is two weeks in a row where it's been just a little bit of a lazy, clumsy sort of uh, event that worked nev- negatively against Alabama. Uh, you could say uh, the Aeneas Williams play last week when he should have knocked the heck out of a lot of the guy out of bounds rather than just bump him, expecting uh, this athlete to go out of bounds that had the flexibility and the, and the balance to stay in bounds. And so I wonder... If Daniel Wright's not trying to make the big play, 
and and in doing so, he's making poor plays. I don't know if the moment's too big for him. I don't know. I will say this. This is a true statement. We are missing Ronald Williams, who's out with a broken arm. And he was injured late in camp and was injured at a point where it looked like he was already out of competition for one of the corner positions, already out of competition for a free safety position. So me included, I thought, well, we have a lot of talent. We have a lot of depth. If someone's going to get hurt, and invariably someone is going to get hurt, then and I'm not rooting for any individual to get hurt, but let it be a backup, right? And what? And I think that's not unreasonable. I don't think that's cruel. I don't think that's me headhunting an individual player. I just think, you know, backup versus starter, what are you going to do? But what I think we're seeing is that Ronald Williams would be in the rotation, rotation at a corner position, rotation at the free safety. He he would be playing right now. I'm pretty confident of that. When you look at, you know, Daniel Wright and you rotate him out, who do you put in? Well, you put in Helms, but then what do you do when you go to a dime? Well, you got to put, you know, Wright back in, or maybe you play branch. And so it's another true freshman. And so when you look at the sixth and seventh, you know, DBs, is Ronald Williams a fifth, sixth, or seventh defensive back? Well, yes, he is. And so what we end up doing is getting even further down sort of the the food chain there. And so I think we are missing Ronald Williams. And I'm going to look, I'll say this, right? I've not seen that published or printed or speculated anywhere. I think that's sort of a unique perspective that you're going to get for us. Pat myself on the back, if you will. But uh, I think that's real. I think there's something real to that. And I think if this continues, you know, maybe coming up with Georgia and Jordan Battle can't play, maybe you start to see some of the speculation. Certainly coming out of that game, I think I think you see it. But nonetheless, I think we're missing Ronald uh, Ronald Williams. I do think, though, I would still attempt to mix it up. I don't know that you could do this every week against every team, but against Ole Miss, you could. I would have I would have looked at moving Patrick Sertain into the star, and then maybe Kai could play a, a free safety, or he could play a dime uh, a dime back. And so it's not hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. If you take PS two, move him at, at the star, bring in Jalen Amar Davis at corner, you lose a little bit at corner but they're not attacking the corner. And so you watch that really close. If he moves in, do they start attacking the corner? All right, let's watch that. But what you do is you put PS2 closer to the action. He is one of the better defenders on the Alabama defense. When he's out at corner and they're not attacking the corner, he effectively is diminished. The value that he brings to the defense is is lessened. And so if you can rotate him into the star, you bring him closer into the action, closer, closer into sort of the play calling the defensive alignment, uh, so to speak, he can contribute in ways that he can't when he's out at corner running nines for a receiver that they're not going to throw to. This is not me mad at Kai because I think Kai is playing very, very well. He's a freshman that is demonstrating that he has a substantial proof uh, 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 future in the Alabama secondary. So it's not moving PS2 to star to replace Kai, but it's shuffling the deck. Um, to, to arrange the talent. And so you're bringing, you're basically trading out Jalen Amore Davis for Daniel Wright. That's the net of it because uh, Jalen Amore Davis plays corner PS2 comes to star and Kai moves to the free safety and then potentially even uh, the, the dime, you know, with Helms. And so again, you make sure you got sort of who's practiced at what positions 
but I think that's something that I would have looked at. I would have I would have looked at a series um, if you're already sort of well, they're going to score again, then try something different, mix it up a little bit. Uh, and I, and I definitely, definitely would have, I definitely would have looked at that. I don't know why the coaches did. I'm not hearing anything sort of asked about that. Maybe as we get further into week, we'll hear, uh, we'll hear some questions on that, but I think that's definitely something that I would have looked at against Ole Miss and I would look at it uh, in future games as well. Again, hamstrung a little bit by Ronald Williams. And I bet if an enterprising reporter is to ask that question to Saban, He'll comment on Ronald Williams. That that would be a prediction. Uh, that'd be a prediction there. Uh, Christian Harris and Will Anderson. I love these guys. They are super athletic. Uh, they are motoring all over the field. If there's one thing, if you could, if they could dial back like half a tick, so that they were operating a little bit more under control. I'm not asking them to take the edge off. I'm not asking them to 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 not play with with an abandon. I'm just saying with a little bit less reckless. They were close on so many plays and just essentially ran themselves out of the play. And if they had if they had approached the play with just a little bit more control, not a whole lot, an almost unnoticeable amount would have had a significant contribution. Uh, on the game, go back and watch the plays that Will Anderson and Christian Harris almost made. And look in the context of this game; it doesn't take very many of those to make a big difference. Five or six, seven maybe, of those plays where they almost made a play. Had they made the play, that's getting Ole Miss off the field on third down, right? And you do that one, two, three times. Those are possessions. Those potentially are possessions. So three plays could be two possessions. Uh, that could be 14 points off the field, uh, off the off the total. So again, just a little bit more under control. That's something that I would definitely want to talk to them about, definitely want to coach them up about. And I'm going to say this about the defense. There's no alpha. There's no one that, 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 you know, pounds his chest and say, dogs, we're hunting, you know, (laughs) I want to say more profanity than that, but there's no one that sort of lines up and says, dudes, let's go get this done. You know, I think of a a Ryan Anderson used to be that guy. Uh, He just looked like he played angry and you just get him sort of in a defensive huddle that, that he was going to be right. And he was going to get everyone else right. Uh, I like to talk about Ray Lewis and sort of (laughs) pissed off for greatness because that's hilarious and it's perfect. And uh, I think even at the time I didn't, I was like, I don't understand what that is supposed to mean. I understand it now. Right. I understand it certainly better now. And we need somebody that can take charge. I don't know that it's Dylan Moses. I haven't seen it yet from Dylan. And then I don't know who else it is because I don't think, I think there's some youngsters that don't want to, that don't want to speak up ahead of Dylan Moses because it's freaking Dylan Moses. Um, but we need that. We need that piss and vinegar. We need that alpha uh, on the defensive side. We need to find out who that is and, and make sure that they get the reps and make sure that they are given license uh, to speak up. I don't know. I, how do I want to say this? There are not all defensive coordinators are assholes, but some of the good ones are. <laughs> and so I don't think Pete Goldlin's an asshole. Um, sorry if that's a little blue, uh, but uh, I, I just think I, I, I think and I like Golden, but 
I'm seeing, I'm seeing maybe what some of the other, I'm seeing what others have been saying. Uh, and so I'm glad no one took me up on my bet. Uh, we don't have a defensive coordinator that's just angry because that's almost a requirement of, of the, of the position. I will say this though, this is not an overnight fix. However, that doesn't mean all hope is lost for the season. So what we're going to start to see, and this is where I think this is what we do best. We watch for shit like this and we watch for sort of what's happening. And so let's watch the subtle position changes. What happens sort of subtly within the position groups? Let's watch that. Let's watch subtly some of the play calling. Does it simplify? Does it all run through Pete? Let's watch that. Remember it was two years ago when Tosh Lapua was the defensive coordinator. And then about midseason, he was kind of the defensive coordinator in name only because Pete started calling some of the defenses. It's a little bit trickier because Tosh and Pete were both on the field coaching uh, coaches. But what about Charlie Strong? I know a lot of people are saying, fire Pete Golden and put in Charlie Strong. Uh, I don't think it's that easy, and I don't think Saban's going to do something so outwardly dramatic. Not yet. It may happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I think it's a little more subtle. I do think that Pete, at this point, and I wouldn't have said this before Saturday, Pete is absolutely coaching for his job. At best, let me say that differently, at best, he's coaching for his job because it could be that Saban's already made up his mind. Saban made up his mind on Tosh before anyone knew it. They may have known it. And when he subtly started to shift some other responsibilities, like I said, the big difference there is they were both on field coaching uh, coaches. And so you could say you guys help each other out a little bit. Meanwhile, coach knows I'm, this is a transition. I mean, just I just haven't told them yet. Well, it could be that Charlie play a stronger role in the game planning of the defense. You're still not an on the field, but we need you to step up and, and help you know Pete out here a little bit. Uh, it may be subtle, but we need to watch. We need to watch uh, for those those kinds of things. But like I said, Pete at best is coaching for his job, uh, unless Saban has already made up his mind that it's done. And we just, at the end of the season, it's done. So that'll be interesting to see. Are there any sort of hints or any sort of giveaways that we see over the balance of the season? Uh, I don't know. So those are those are definitely some things to, to look for uh, on defense. Again, historically bad. None of this is excuse-making. Not a damn lick of it. We're just trying to sort of sift through the ashes and see what we have here. There are some reasons. There are some excuses. The entire – the signals, catching up the signals. I do want to talk about that. I think from I, I think it's being blown way out of proportion. I'm going to say this. Uh, you have heard Tommy and I talk about on the podcast. This is a smaller scale and, and sort of a jokey sort of uh, representation. But we've all done this in our own lives. We can all identify with this. Uh, Tommy and I have been on uh, the show before, and we're going to we're going to talk about questions or we're going to talk about a mini game ball player. And, and we'll kid, I do it more with him because he goes first, but, but it would kind of do it both ways. And it's like, dude, are you reading over my shoulder or dude, are you reading my mail? You picked the same guy that I did. How, how is that possible? And it's because we're thinking about, you know, the same things and we watch the same game and, and whatnot. But, but sort of the comment, the commentary there is, are you reading my mail? Uh, Because it's, it's, 
you know, diabolical that you're saying exactly what I was going to say. Well, it's, I, th- I think Saban in the press conference was sort of, it was trying to articulate that thought. It was as if they had our calls because gee whiz, every time we lined up to do something, they were in the perfect formation for it. Did he really intend that to be an accusation? I don't think so. I think it was just like, holy shit, how can they get this perfect right? There, this is Tecmo Bowl where they call my play every time. The computer's cheating on me. That you know how how many of us of a certain age haven't said that? Uh, and so, I think uh, I, I think that was ripped away out of proportion. And then it really set up Lane Kiffin for so the best line. It says, "Well, if we're running plays every ten seconds, we don't have time to." read and decipher and, and sort of adjust based on their keys. And I think that's a little overstatement on, on his part, but, but it really cast him as sort of the winner of a non-existing argument. And I, I sort of just annoyed that that, that that became a story. Um, and no one's sort of writing that angle of it, of, you know, can we get our head straight on what this really was? Because it's not, it was, I don't think it was an accusation. And then if you're a player, I know Dylan said something about it too. If you're a player, it may, may really actually feel like, uh, like that. And I'm not on the field, so I'm not hearing what the other team is saying. I just, I just, my first sort of out of hand thought is that's just a bullshit comment for a bullshit situation. And so it's not even worth sort of making it a headline, but you know, 13 sites did. So there you go. Um, all right. So defense, like I said, historically bad. Uh, I am going to go a mini game ball and, um, you know what? This is absolutely the spirit of the mini game ball in a game where this is the spirit of a defensive mini game ball in a game where the defense was historically bad. So this is the absolute perfect. You could call mini game balls for the next three weeks and you could not name a mini game ball as perfect as the one I've got, unless this is who you were picked to. And it's Phil Darian Mathis in his air quote injury. Uh, the, the He saves, you know, <laughs> the fact that he, he in, you know, and instantly the Ole Miss crowd was booing him. And so it calls sort of a, an injury timeout. He had to step out. We rotate defensive linemen, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, but it forced or allowed the, the defense to sort of regain their composure, sort of catch a, catch a breath, right? And, uh, and so, I, you know, many game ball to Phil Darian and Mathis for doing that. I don't know why, and I saw someone speculate, I don't know why. Saban saves timeouts. There are situations where the defense is gassed and you just call a timeout so they can suck some air. I, you know, he saves timeouts like they're 401k eligible or something. I just don't, I just don't understand it. Uh, and he's always done that. Uh, both, both quarters. Uh, I could see, you know, save them because you don't know what's going to happen in the fourth, but he'll go in the halftime with a pocket load of timeouts. And gosh, we really could have used them there, but uh, I don't know. That's, that's, that's sort of a, an interesting sort of saving uh, observation there. So Philadelphia Mathis mini game ball defense, uh, special teams. I'm going to whisper this because I don't want 2020 to hear us, but uh, Will Reichert was nine of nine on PATs. And if you think about the woes that Alabama's had the last too many years in, in, in the kicking game, we have doinked plenty of PATs in a game like this, where it was score for score for score for score a doink, a missed PAT, only a point, 
but it, but it would have been a, a differential. It would have maintained a differential. It would have created uh, not a tie game with each score, but still a, a, a point differential. And that can become big. Mentally, that can weigh, because then the defense needs an extra stop so the offense can get an extra score. And, and, it's, and you know that that needs to happen anyways, but when it's point for point for point for point, the pressure isn't there in the same way of it not, the point not being there. And so the nine PATs, big deal, really big deal. Uh, Sam Johnson uh, only had one punt, which is good, uh, and it went for 40. So we'll take that. That was certainly good. Uh, I think the comical stat probably on the season is that Carl Tucker has the longest kickoff return uh, on the season. And it's really a podcast special because the next closest, I think Devonta maybe is the next closest, would Devonta pick the ball up at the five, that he could have fair caught and brought it out to the 25. I think he ran it to the 26. And so he gets all of those return yards. And I think his was 23 and Carl's was 26 or something like that, whatever it was. But Carl caught, uh, Carl picked it up on sort of a, a squib kick and his yards were actually in the meat of the field. They were legit. I think it was 26 or 27 yards. He had a legit 26 yards because it's out of the middle of the field. It's not these end zone to the 25 yards, which they're going to give you anyways. So he, his were hard earned yards. If you, if, if, if you were cashing it in, his yards are worth more than other kick return yards that we've had on the season. So I'm going to look for every opportunity to sort of turn that screw. And so Carl Tucker gave me uh, sort of a funny opportunity to do that. On special teams, uh, we don't give many game balls on special teams, but uh, for the hell of it, we are today. Uh, Ben Davis and John Mechie for onside kick recoveries. Uh, Ben Davis went in there and uh, and grabbed one. Questionable whether that would have been considered 10 yards. There were a couple angles that could have gone either way. But it doesn't matter when Ben Davis uh, recovers the ball. And then John Mechie, hands like butter, he goes and just scoops up that ball. And he's like, the hell with the 10 yards. I don't need it to go 10 yards before I can touch it. I'm just going to go grab it. And uh, and the fact that he did uh, with that confidence and that grace and, and the way that he just scooped up that ball, those are very big plays. You think one side's kicks are not going to convert that often anyways. Had they converted – had either of them converted, that could have been ball game. So special hats off uh, to those gents on special teams. We talked about Daniel Wright special teams a minute ago, so we're not going to mention that again. Uh, let's transition to next up. So Georgia comes to town, and there's a lot of angst. Man, we're playing Georgia after we look so bad uh, against Ole Miss. What's Georgia going to do to us? There's a lot of Alabama fans selling stock, and I just don't understand that. I think comparing Georgia and Ole Miss is comparing apples and auto parts. Um, they're not the same thing. Uh, Georgia is a better team than Ole Miss. I, I won't argue with you on that. Their talent up and down the roster uh, out, is, is better than Ole Miss. But their their offense can't hold a candle to Ole Miss. Uh, I really do believe that. And so all of the yards, you know, people are acting like I, I've seen on – not I, I, I'll call this chat room. Uh, I've seen people in chat rooms, you know, the way their attitude and sort of their spirit about this game is if to suggest that if Ole Miss scored 48 and Georgia's a better team, Georgia's going to score 70. If Ole Miss had 600 and 
you know, 47 yards and Georgia's a better team, well, Georgia might get 1,000 yards against us. What are we, you know, what are we ever going to do? Chicken little, the sky's falling. And that's just the wrong, that's just the wrong way to look at it. Thurston Howell is no Matt Carroll. It's just not true. They are just not that prolific on offense. And I like their offensive coach, but he ain't no Lane Kiffin. Uh, so I don't think they're they're a tougher uh, opponent. They're more physical. Their offensive line is is not outstanding, but it's better than Ole Miss's. And their defensive front, they may well be the best defense in the in the conference. Uh, I'll, I'll go so far as to say that. But it's not. But you can't say Ole Miss did this. So Georgia, by extension, is going to do better than that. I don't think that's true. I don't think it works that way. And I don't think that the offensive attacks, how they're going to approach the game, what uh, Ole Miss did, Georgia's going to have. Georgia's going to have a different, uh, a different approach. Georgia does not have the offensive weapons to do what Ole Miss did. They don't. So they have a stout D. Uh, I do think they're a little suspect in the secondary. I think that Alabama can can make some hay there. This is going to be an old-school SEC game. This is going to be a bloody nose uh, game. It's going to be physical. It's going to be tight, Not in, in and it's going to be tight not in a way that Ole Miss was, where it's a shootout and everyone's scoring touchdowns. It's going to be a tight where tight game where we're exchanging punts and you know we're going to look for a block punt or, you know, hey, Kirby, a fake punt that potentially is going to make the difference in the game. This is a game that I want to say is a 24-17 style game. I almost need to run the 2020 offensive uh, sort of conversion table and and sort of make this a, a 24 to 27 uh, or 34 to 27 style game. Uh, I think it's it's probably within a score, but uh, and and I could easily see Georgia winning this. Okay, I really really could. Uh, I do think Alabama edges. I think it's tight. I think it's within a score. I hope it's not a field goal game, but I do think uh, Alabama ekes out uh, a close game. And I think the nature of Georgia's attack makes the defense look better. Just that alone. That doesn't mean all, you know, the defense was not as bad as we saw Saturday, and it may not be as good as we see this Saturday. There's still issues on the defense, but the nature of this attack will make the defense look better. And I do think uh, I do think Alabama uh, does pull the game out. So with that, let's transition. I've got sort of three sort of talking points here at the end. Uh, I'm going to ask. Uh, I promoted uh, promoted this at the beginning. I'm going to promote it here at the end. Uh, join the support team. Really, give it a shot. Support the podcast. Uh, throw us a few bucks to keep the lights on uh, over here. If you enjoy what we do, if you're a fan and you enjoy what we do then we think it's well worth it. We've already done, I think last year, the 2019 team, I think we did 29 or 30 bonus shows. We are already at 15, and we're on week three. So we're doing Zoom calls, which are just phenomenal, uh, a lot of fun there. We're doing uh, several bonus shows that are only release, uh, released to that group. We're doing interviews with opposing uh, sort of podcasts with uh, opponents. We've done three of those. I do a quick hit sort of summary, uh, and so I did uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, I did one of those uh, for each each of the games, and so we put that out there. So there's all kinds of sort of additional bonus content that you get, you know, even in addition to sort of the regular shows. 
If you were part of the bonus teams, you would have already sort of gotten a tease on an upcoming contest uh, so that you could be a little bit sort of head start on preparing for that. Uh, not that that's going to make a difference, but uh, nonetheless, you would also get to, uh, you'd know that there's a, you're on the sort of the Zoom call or listen to the Zoom call. Uh, you would know who our uh, upcoming new sponsor is and you'd be able to go check that out. And this Thursday, this Thursday Zoom call, we're going to demonstrate uh, the product in action. And so uh, you'll want to be on Thursday Zoom call because it's just a barrel of monkeys anyways. But uh, we'll be featuring, uh, you know, featuring the, this product on the Zoom call. And as soon as we sort of get the final sort of deals sort of ironed out on that, we're going to share it with everyone. We're not holding back. Uh, but sort of the early the early access, right, is uh, is the deal there. If you don't want to do that, hey, I respect that. That's not a problem. Uh, hit it, hit us up on iTunes and give us a five star uh, review if you haven't done uh, if you haven't done that already. The last review that we have on iTunes is a phenomenal review. It's a five star review. It's phenomenal. I love it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. But it's a year old, and so I'd like to see some more current reviews of the of the five star variety, if possible. And I think that'll demonstrate to, to folks that are checking us out uh, that we're a little more current, uh, that, you know, we haven't gone anywhere. We're still producing good stuff and people still like it. So, uh, you know, check out the support team, alabamafootballpodcast.com. There's a there's a page that speaks to that. Sign up. And again, you know, sort of teasing on the Zoom calls. Zoom calls are just a hell of a lot of fun just anyways. But uh, we're going to we're going to sort of demonstrate some stuff coming up this this Thursday. And then, uh, you know, give us a give us a good review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate that as well. With that, this is a wrap. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.